All right. Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. I think someone said horrible. No, I'm just kidding. Well, first of all, we're just going to pause for a moment and just make sure Pastor Jay did say that if it's even today, he comes. Not yet. All right. So I have to finish this sermon. Just want to make sure and have that going. Well, my name is Chris. I am the Life Groups Pastor here at Southwinds Church. And in case you're wondering, uh, when did he become the Life Groups Pastor? It's because we changed it from Small Groups Pastor. Same position, same thing that's still happening here. It is so good to be with you guys this morning. We are going to do something also a little bit different this morning. You know, when the cat's away, the mice will play. So, so as Pastor Mike is gone, I'm going to do something that maybe some of you are going, I cannot believe he's actually making me do this. I want you to get your phones out. And what we're going to do is I'm going to give you permission to text in church. Now, it's about the focus of the message, so please do not text your friends and text it. And if you, uh, and, and I just also wanted to warn you, standard texting rates apply, all right? So what we're going to have you do is go ahead and open up your phones, and I want you to go to your text app and open it up. And just like you're dialing a number, I want you to just type in these five numbers, though, not a 10-digit number. You're going to type 22333. There was a mix-up. And from last service, and I just want to make sure we're getting that good. It's 22333. And then I want you to text in the words like you're getting ready to type a message. I want you to type Southwinds 000. Instructions are on the screen here, but they're also in the bulletin. And then what's going to happen is you should receive a message saying that you are about to get entered into a poll. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a live poll. And I have to let you know it is just as fearful the second service as it is the first service. Because what you're going to do is you're going to answer this one question with one word. Because, again, if it is, it can kind of mess up what we're going to do here at the end. I want you to answer this question, and hopefully you guys have gotten it. Again, please follow the instructions on the screen or on your bulletin once it gets off of there. The question is this. What creates the most fear or anxiety in your life? One word. What creates the most fear or anxiety in your life? And what I'm going to do is, if, as God continues to kind of maybe give you any more fears or anxieties, go ahead and just text that throughout the message. That's okay. Um, and again, what we're going to do is, at the end of the message, my prayer is that we will see kind of what God is going to do through that. Now, just to kind of also prepare you, I also have to let you know that there is not going to be a saving of your phone number, so we're going to go, oh, that's your fear? Because that might be your fear is that someone knows your fear. So just know that we are not tracking your phone number and going to call you saying, oh, really? Uh, I, I think, um, but just know that it is going to be live on the screens, so please use your words wisely. All right, so let's go ahead and pray. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a little bit transparent with you and share one of my biggest fears and anxieties that God had brought on my life uh, not that long ago. So let's pray. Father, um, man, God, you are good. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to be on this stage, Lord, to be able to deliver your word. And Father, I just want to pray right now, Lord, that you would be with our church this morning, Father God. Lord, as we try to be transparent, as we try to be uh, as open and honest as possible, Lord, because why? Because this is why we come here today. 
And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that as we go before you, that, God, that there's any distractions that have happened this week, some things that have happened in our lives, Father God, Lord, may you simply be the focus. And, God, may you teach us who you are today. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let the texting begin. I want to share with you guys this opportunity to just to kind of be a little bit transparent because one of my biggest fears that happened in my life was the fear of one time where in, in season while I was church planning, I felt I had lost my calling to be a pastor. And I want to share with you why, what was going on in my life at the time. If you know me from our staff or just kind of outside, you will know me as the person on staff as the extrovert. A lot of our pastors can be introverts sometimes, and they love to be in their offices, and that's not a bad thing. It's just how God had wired them up. I love going from office to office to office to office to office to office. And I've heard that when I was on vacation just a few weeks ago, it was like super quiet in our office, and so they were glad to have, I think some were glad to have me back, others were like, ah, oh, he's back, and stuff, and I just love connecting and talking with people, matter of fact, I'd love to connect with you guys afterwards as well, but one of the things that had happened in this season was I got to a point where I was thinking, God, I am afraid because I didn't want to talk to people, and when you went out, and I didn't even want to go out into my neighborhood, and then not only that, if you asked my family and you had to ask this question, I didn't even want to sometimes talk to the people I loved, my own family, because I had just felt physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually done, tired, and I'm going, God, are you calling me something else to do? Do you want me to work somewhere else? And it was even to the points where I was even trying to get to the point where I wanted to read the Bible, but I couldn't even read the scriptures. So I had some really good pastors and mentors in my life and said, Chris, what you need to do is you need to take a sabbatical, and which means just a, you need to just get some rest. And so I had a really good friend of mine. His name, his name was Ben. And he was what I would consider one of my pastor mentors, and he was in his 70s. And one of the things that I would do is almost weekly, we would go out, we would get a sandwich, and we would just sit by the shore. I was in Oceanside at the time. You're like, shore? Where do you go from there? And I would sit there, and I would just stare at the ocean, and I would just share some of the things that were going on in my life. And he said, well, we need to just get out of town. And so we decided to go out to this place called Lake Morena in San Diego, and it's a reservoir in the East County. Don't ask me why I decided to go out to the desert instead of just hanging out at the ocean to get some rest, but it was, it was one of those things where he says, we need to get you out of this place. And so I started doing a lot of hiking and just walking around and seeing what Lake Morena was all about. I started reading a book called When People Are Big and God is Small. And it was really convicting in my life. And I was, doing, I was just kind of going, God, why am I still feeling this way? And I would be talking back and forth with my, with my mentor pastor. And it, also I had downloaded this song on iTunes. And I should have downloaded more because there was no reception out in this place. But there was this song by this group called NF called I'll Keep On. And the lyrics, the first kind of set of the lyrics went like this. It says, and don't worry, I'm not going to sing this because, you know, Pastor Dave's going to try to recruit me for being up here on the worship team. But it says this, he says, Oh, these hands are tired. Oh, this heart is tired. Oh, this soul is tired. But I'll keep on. I'll keep on. And I'll keep on. 
And I kept on playing this song over and over and over again. And one of the things that I started to notice as I was hiking, I would kind of look out into the reservoir, and I would start noticing that the reservoir at that time, because we were in the drought, it was probably about 3 or 4% full. And when you look at a reservoir, and you see what's kind of happening out there, you start going, wow. It looks sad because you see what all the potential is. And what I started to also notice as I was walking around, I would see these boat ramps, and these boat ramps would just lead to just dirt. They weren't even useful for what they were intended to be. I would also, as I was hiking, you would see some dead fish, and sorry for the pixelated pictures, you would see dead fish because what would happen is that they would swim to these little puddles, And then eventually, after the sun would dry out, they would just die because they had no further place to swim. And I kept on singing that song, Lord, these hands are tired. My soul is tired, but I'm going to keep on, I'm going to keep on, I'm going to keep on. It's then when God connected me to my experience that I was facing to what I was also seeing in that moment. And what I was seeing was this empty reservoir, but my life was also an empty reservoir. And my life was full of useful tools that couldn't be used in the midst of the drought that I was experiencing in my own life. And God began to start showing me, and I, I, I think from my student ministry years, I think he loves giving me word pictures, probably partly because I need it. I, there's a full picture book Bible, I would totally use it all the time. But what happened is, is he kind of gave that illustration saying, listen, if your life is this, and I'm going to say a cup, but it's an actual bottle, but if your life is this represented inside of here, one of the things that I would use in ministry, I would constantly use this term called, I would pour out. I'm going to go pour out into my community. Hey, I'm going to go pour out and disciple this person. Hey, I'm going to go out to the schools, and I'm going to pour out into that. Hey, I'm going to go into the city, and I'm going to pour out into some people. And I constantly use the word pouring out. And what do you think happens to a cup eventually if you continue to pour it out? It gets empty. And when it gets empty, you start going, wait a second, I've got nothing to pour out. And God began to start showing me, saying, listen, you need to know who I am. You have forgotten. You've continued to pour out under your own strength. You continue to pour out in the things that you want. But who's pouring into you? What is pouring into you? And is it really giving you what you really need? And so God began to start really challenging me in that moment where I needed to get back to who it was. There's a great passage in Psalm 23, and it says at the end, verse 5, it says that the, my cup, and first of all, it says he anoints my head with oil. Then it says that my cup does what? It overflows. You see, God's desire for us this morning and from my time when I was out in that reservoir, is he was saying, Chris, my desire for you is that you can have a cup that is overflowing and you don't realize it, but what's in the cup, that's for you. And what's overflowing is what you give to others. So that way you'll never run dry. So what we're going to learn a little bit about this morning through this psalm, it's Psalm 46. And so if you have your Bibles, what I would love for you to do is open up Psalm 46, and we're going to read the entire chapter. We're going to read it just a few verses at a time. If you have your Bible apps, feel free to switch over from that texting, 
and, uh, and feel free to go ahead and open it up. But what we're going to realize is we're going to start learning about who God is so that he can begin to fill our cups this morning so that we will never run dry. And the first thing that we're going to learn is that God is our refuge. God is our refuge. Let's go ahead and read the first few verses. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Now, I know you're probably wondering right now, saying, is it Pastor Chris's fault so that he could use an illustration from an earthquake in his Sunday sermon. And I will tell you this, no, it was not my fault. But I will tell you, I don't know what your reactions are during an earthquake, but I remember sitting, and as I was prepping for this message on Friday, and I'm sitting there, and I've felt earthquakes down many times before in Southern California, and I'm sitting there going, was that just an earthquake? I asked my wife, babe, did you hear, feel that? She's like, no. And then all of a sudden, you see the chandelier start swishing, the blinds start moving around, and you start seeing, I look outside, and I see our pool just going swishing back and forth, and I'm going, we're having an earthquake. Girls, get out, you know. And one of the things you learned early on, you're supposed to go in your door frame. I think they said you're not supposed to do that anymore because the door could hit you in the midst of an earthquake, but we're like, get in your door frames, and it's like doing this panic moment. And then you start realizing, you start Googling, hey, earthquakes, and you hear that it's a magnitude, first 7.1, then 6.9, and you realize that that magnitude earthquake, how it affected here in the city not that long ago, and destruction that was created from that. But you start realizing as you start reading this passage that if God is our refuge and our strength, and he's an ever-present time in our troubles, that we have to realize that there is going to be seasons in our lives that even earthquakes, hurricanes, storms, floods, broken levees, things that can happen physically to us, where do we go for those moments of strength, for those moments of refuge? In the scriptures, in Numbers 35, in Joshua chapter 20, there was actually a city of refuge. And I want to just to quickly explain what the city of refuge was. God said that whenever there was this piece of land that he would give to his people was that they had to establish a city of refuge. And the city of refuge was for people who basically had accidentally killed somebody. And they said instead of, at that point, that was still Old Testament law, so it was an eye for an eye. But if you accidentally did, you would go and you would run to the city of refuge and you would go to its gates and you would plead your case and saying, this is what happened. And if you were accepted, they would let you in and you would be protected from the, with the priests. And they would say, you are now protected. And as long as that priest was alive, that they would be protected. And actually, as a matter of fact, if they were accepted, and if it would either go to a court, or if the Levite died, that they could go back to their homes without being harmed. But I want you to think about it. Yes, there's moments where you're like, yeah, why would he do that? But there's also moments for us where God is saying, is he our refuge? Maybe we haven't murdered somebody, but maybe we have done things in our lives that we are going, man, I know that this is not what God would want me to do. 
But what he is here to tell us this morning is that he is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Proverbs 18.10 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe. You see, God provided places in the Old Testament for people who are in the midst of crisis. But here's the great part. He still provides for us today. And that place is called his church. Welcome to the city of refuge. You see, maybe some of you, as you're typing your fears, as you're typing your anxieties, as you're typing and going, man, I've never been able to share what I'm facing I want you to know that when you've stepped into this building, you are stepping into a place where God dwells in his people that call him God. And that you can go to those people, you can go to his church, and you can hear a message that is not only going to encourage you, but it's going to remind you that there's a God that loves you and hears your brokenness and hears your pains and hears everything that is going on and still says, you know that? I love you. We have a great ministry. That's something that I feel blessed to be a part of when I came and moved up here to Southwinds and to Tracy is that God had kind of helped put me over these programs called our Care Nights. And our Care Nights stands for Connect, Assist, Restore, and Encourage. Because one of the things that we began to start seeing was is that there's families in our church where they're going, where do I go to when I'm hurting that I just have gone through a divorce or my spouse has left me? Where do I go if I'm struggling with a hurt or a habit or a hang-up? Where do I go if I'm struggling with mental health? Where do I go if I have a family member who is struggling with a mental health? Where do I go if I'm struggling with my finances? Where do I go if I've lost somebody and the pain is so excruciating that I don't know where to go? You come to Karenites. You come to that city of refuge where there's other people who have also gone through it. And one of the greatest things is, as a facilitator, is that you say, this is how God has taken me through this. And we point you to God, not ourselves, but we share our testimony of how God has used us in the midst of that. And so that is where it is a huge praise. But God has also created just regular life groups. And life groups are for every single one of us here. A life group, one of the things that there was, when we would try to figure out when we were changing the name from small groups to life groups, why did we, why did we do that? Well, one is because I continue to use the words, we're just doing life together. Because as you're going through work, as you're kind of going through whatever seasons of life, you need to have a group of people that hear you and share what is going on in their lives and is being as transparent as possible. But the idea is is that when you come together, there was three words that we said, how do you describe a life group? Well, the one word was real. You just got to be real. You just got to be transparent. The other one was life, and if you're living and the heartbeat's going, you're part of a group. You can join a group. And the other part was together. Because what happens most of the time in our lives is that when we are hitting a crisis moment, we tend to actually get away from community and not go towards it. And we wanted to remind people that as you're going through life, that there's a place for you to connect to. There's going to be people out on the gazebo 
that want to listen and talk to you and share with you of what they do and how they happen. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's a few things in that verse that we really have to understand is one, that there's power in confession. There's power that when we know that God is our refuge, that he is going to accept us for who we are, which means that as we begin to confess and share what is going on in our lives, we have to say, this is what's going on in my life. And, and in, verse, in that verse, it also says, therefore, confess your sins to each other, which means it's not just about saying it to the air and you're just saying it to God and saying, God, yes, he hears you, but he has also put people in your lives to remind you that you're not alone. But here's the greatest part after that. That final part of the verse is confess your sins to each other so that what? You may be healed. Guys, as I help oversee Celebrate Recovery, as I help see Connect, Assist, Restore, Care Nights, as I help oversee life groups, some of the things that I've seen most effective is finally when a person gets to a point where they can just say, this is my hurt. This is my pain. This is why I chose to share a very intimate moment as a pastor and to tell you that scared me when I felt like my calling was lost. But what was even better was a reminder to saying who God is and how I needed to see him and how he began to start pouring back into my life. So the first part we need to be reminded of is that God is our refuge. The second one, oh, actually, before I move on to the next point, is this, right next to that, at the end of verse 3, there's this little thing, if you look in your Bible, it says, it's either Selah or Selah. And I love it, because what that means is that there's a couple meanings for it. One, it could also mean pause, but it also means praise. And I want us to make sure that as we hear that God is our refuge, pause. And what is God saying to you? Do we pause enough to hear how God speaks to us? The second thing that we need to know is that God is our deliverer. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. It says this, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproars. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There's a beautiful picture that God is painting through this psalm with us this morning. First of all, there's a river, and it's a metaphor for this continuing, God's continuing outpouring and sustaining and refreshing of our lives. You have to see is that in Jerusalem, there's not a river that runs through Jerusalem, but there is a river that kind of comes alongside. And anytime you see rivers, it is amazing what happens. I just went to Yosemite a few weeks ago. And if you ever have a chance to go, and if you have a chance to go this summer, make that happen. And as I was camping there, one of the things that was beautiful was as you walk by the river, all you would see is this gushing water just continually pouring. And I was hiking up to the waterfalls, and it's just pouring out like it's raining as you're walking up to it. And you just start seeing how powerful God is, but also how refreshing 
it is when you're by a river. And there's in the Psalm 1, it talks about that kind of like a tree planted by a river is constantly being fed, that it continues to grow. And my question for us this morning is, is that is God your deliverer? You see, it also says, and it reminds us that as long as God's people were staying focused on God, that he would guard them. He'd not necessarily prevent them from things happening, but he would guard them. But when their focus was off of God, that's when chaos would often begin to pursue. The dwelling place is no longer just in that temple. When Jesus died on that cross, the moment he took his last breaths, it said that the veil that was guarding this place where God would dwell was torn. And no longer was it just going to be in a temple, it was going to dwell in our bodies, in our lives, as we became Christ followers. And we have to realize that as God has developed this city of refuge, that you can be a refuge for people to come to so that you can point them to God. So my question for you is this, who are we trusting to take us through the most difficult circumstances in our lives? Have you come here this morning and you feel like, man, my cup is empty? And my prayer is that you're just going to hear who God is so that he can continue to pour into you and fill your cup. Maybe for some of you, you're saying, hey, my cup's pretty full right now. God's been doing some pretty cool stuff in my life. And my prayer for you is that he begins to start overflowing your life so that you can begin to start filling up other people. It's hard to say that I'm empty, so I'm going to just kind of challenge us as a church this. On the count of three, I want us to all say, I'm empty. So that way we can just kind of get the awkwardness out of the way for the next time we say it. All right, so on the count of three, let's say I'm empty. Ready, one, two, three? I'm empty. Oh, that was good. That was good. How, how, how did that feel? Did it make you feel like you're like, I'm empty? Is that good? You're like, maybe for some of you, are like, maybe that's the first time you've said it. Now let's try it the opposite way and say I'm overflowing. So that way you can also know what it feels like, or at least what it feels like to say I am overflowing. One, two, three, I am overflowing. Either way, the idea is who are you going to to recognize that God is your deliverer. I want to share you a couple of stories that God has done in my life. And he did and started back in 2007. But I'm not going to get there first. I'm actually going to start with my church plant. And we had done this ministry called the Compassion Project. One of the things that we started recognizing when we were starting reaching people in our neighborhood was there was a lot of people that were just hurting and they didn't know how to get over that hurt. And so we built or developed this team called the Compassion Project. And the Compassion Project was specifically designated to help someone overcome one major thing in their life. And we didn't define what that thing was. It could have been a crisis. It could have been financially. It could have been whatever. And one day, this single mom comes up to us and says, hey, I'm trying to figure out how I can get into a place on my own. And I do not know how. I've been staying with my mom, and I don't know what to do. And so we said, okay, let's, one, let's go ahead and have you meet with the Compassion Project. And so as we had this meeting with her, and we figured out, okay, it was going to take about $2,000 to have her go into her own place after deposit the first, the last, and, you know, everything that goes in between. And we sat and we went, 
How are we going to afford this, right? God, we're a church plant. We bear, that's not even in our budget that week to figure out that. But what we did do is saying, we don't know how it's going to happen, but let's pray. We prayed. We concluded that meeting. She went home. Before we left, I got a call. I got a call from another one of our members who had heard about the Compassion Project that we were starting. He said, hey, Chris, I just want to let you know, I just got this bonus from work. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to give $2,000 to the Compassion Project. I thought it was going to go a whole lot further than that. But God said, this is why I'm giving it to you. Now, I know most of you are saying, I've prayed for less, and God has not given it to me. And I'm not going to say that it's happened again because it hasn't. But what I am saying is that when we go to God, when we trust him as our refuge, when we trust him as our deliverer, that he is going to bring circumstances in our lives that sometimes we're going, why is this happening? And he's going to say, listen, do you trust me? Am I your strength? Are you trying to do this on your own? Because trust me, $2,000 is a lot of money. But we trusted that this is what God, God's ministry that he wanted us to deliver. There's another thing that happened just as easy as small. This weekend, I was helping someone install sod. And I don't know if you've ever installed sod before, but either you have too little or too much. <laughs> no lie. When we were done laying sod, we're looking going, oh, this is going to be close. Oh, this is going to be close. And as we're kind of laying it, even to the scraps of the stuff that you tear out because there's no square piece of property, it was 100% done. And I was like, God, that was good. That was just the little stuff, right? You're, you're like, yeah, God's good. You did more to that than the 2,000. You're like, I know about the sod feeling. But there's also something that happened back in 2007 when I was a student ministries pastor that still affects what happens in my life today. In 2007, when I was a student ministries pastor, I was enjoying what I was doing, and I, and I came up to, a, a father came up, and actually we had our first uh, student ministry funeral. And it was of a girl. She was 15 years old, and she died of a heart attack. And dad went to work, and she came, and he heard that she was sick, and she passed away before he came back. And I remember when he came and asked me, can you do my daughter's funeral? One, it's hard to do a funeral, but two, it's harder to do one for a child. And we had the funeral at his home, and as parents and kids were coming, he saw me talking to this one parent. And he goes, Chris, can I, can I talk to you for a second? He goes, how do you know that man over there? And I said, well, his daughter's in my youth group. And he goes, can I share you something? I go, yeah, sure, what's up? He goes, when my wife and I were younger, we had two children. And we figured we couldn't afford to have two kids. So we gave our youngest child to that man, who was my best friend. And we swore that we would never talk to each other again or tell the girls that they were sisters or had sisters. And what you're telling me right now is that my daughter knew her sister. And that God has brought them together in this moment. And God did more than that, guys. 
You see, a few years later, that same father who I was helping grieve and helping love him past the moments of loss of his child was there hugging me when I lost my son. And just a few months ago, he called me and said, hey, Chris, I have stage four cancer. And he goes, I just want to let you know I'm okay, but can you do my funeral? And this week, I'm going to be flying out to Idaho and doing his funeral. And what he doesn't realize is that he was going, Chris, he started going to church after that moment at the loss of his child. And I start seeing what God can begin to start doing. Through, he starts weaving people in and out of crises that you don't even plan. There's nothing that I could have planned in 2007 that would have prepared me for this next part. And don't worry, I have to, I have to actually disclose that um, I just became a chaplain a few months ago. And I asked this officer if I could share just a, a moment of this story. And he said he would absolutely be okay with me. I'm not sharing a name, I'm not sharing anything else. But one of the things that he shared with me was we came on a scene. And in the moments of the scene, he shared with the family that he had just lost two of his kids over the last two years. And I remember just sitting there listening to him, and I'm going, God, do you want me to share my story with him? And so after everything was done, I went and talked to them, and we just started talking about our kids. And he says, I've never shared that with anybody, and nor did I think that I was supposed to go on this, that I was going to share that on this call. And I told him, I don't think I was even supposed to be on this call. And yet God brought our stories together. And what I started to realize is that there are times where we think we have to force God to do things. And we have to recognize that he is our deliverer. And in his timing, he will bring people into your life. He will use you and he will also use other people to come to you because he is our refuge. And if we are his people, we are his refuge for people to go to as well. So what do we know about our God? God will deliver you and send you when it's time. I want to encourage you that if you are hurting or in a crisis, that you go to a place that you know you can go to, whether it's a care group or a life group or whether it's a CR group, whatever it is, go to it. But you have to know that God is your refuge, God is your deliverer. And the last thing as we wrap things up here this morning is that God is also our peace. Verses 6 or 8 through 11, it says this, Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And then he says this to us, all of us here this morning, Be still and know that I am God that I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. There's a moment we have to recognize that in the midst of all the chaos and in today's society when we are so easy to hear that I can hear on Google that there was a 7.1 earthquake hundreds of miles away 
and know exactly where it's located, and I can hear of wars and rumors of wars, and earth is shaking, and we have to recognize that all these things are happening, and all of us are capable of knowing what is happening just by the touch of a phone and looking at it. But we also have to recognize that God is reminding us that we need to just simply be still. And it's not just about being still. Because I've gone on vacations, guys, because I thought I needed a vacation. And there's a term that happens when you come back from a vacation. It's, I need a vacation from my vacation. Why? It's because we think that retreating away is actually going to give us rest. But what we have to recognize is that only God is real rest. And that when we begin to know who he is and what he is capable of, that he will be exalted among the earth. He is going to be exalted among the nations and that we need not fear because he is our refuge and our strength. Now, throughout this message, I hope you guys have been doing your part because what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and bring up the slide that basically has shown what your, some of your largest fears or anxieties are. And I want to tell you about what this is. This is a word cloud. And the word cloud basically has this is that every time a word is repeated, it gets larger. So larger the words means that this is more common of what's happening inside this room. And for some of you, it looks like from this is that one is failure. I'll be honest with you. That's a big one for everyone here. Actually coming and preaching after Pastor Mike is like, oh, am I going to mess this thing up? But failure is huge. Is it loss? Is it money? Children. Apparently someone's afraid of Haas as well. (laughs) Maybe for some of you, it's also because your fear of the unknown or uncertainty. Kids failing, cancer, suffering, loneliness. You see, God has put all of these fears and anxieties here in this room. But he's also put God's people here in this room. And the thing that we need to see is this next word cloud that we need to be reminded that we need to be still and know that he is God. In the message version, as we wrap this up, it says, I love it. The reason I wanted to use it because I think it's very poignant to most of you commuters. It says, step out of the traffic. Take a long look at me, your high God, above politics and above everything. And basically what it's saying is that there's moments that we are getting so distracted in our lives and we need to be reminded that we just need to simply be still. Know that he is God. And we need to let him begin to fill our cups so that we will no longer be empty ones, but overflowing. Let's pray.